Light a campfire, and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello, and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia, and my guest today is Nonhyantla Ambrose from Africa Foundation. Noni will be speaking to us about the Foundation's latest initiative, the Hustle Economy Programme. Hi, Noni. Welcome back, and thanks for taking the time to chat to us once again. Hi, Cassia. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always lovely catching up with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Noni, today we're going to talk about quite a new and innovative project from Africa Foundation. But before we get into the details, I'd just like to sort of set the scene and and talk about why it was necessary in the first place. These are concepts that some of our listeners may not be quite familiar with. So to kick off with, I'd like to talk about the phenomenon known as the hustle economy, which is quite common in many countries in Africa, including South Africa. Could you tell me a little bit about what this is and who the people involved in it are? Thank you, Kurs. So the hustle economy, it's a phenomenon, as you've described it, that has always been present, uh, especially in, in, in the African context. You know, um, but it was never given the respect that it actually deserves. And with the world being hit by COVID, going into pandemic and lockdown, a lot of people lost their jobs. So they found, you know, you needed to have a side hustle, so to speak, another source of income. But for the rural South Africans, it was the realization that hustling has always been a source of income because then we had to, through this program, try and shift that mindset of it just being a side thing, a side source of income to being actually a main source of income. So you whisper that word in the rural villages or in the townships of of South Africa, what it screams is, is opportunity. What it says is, how can I make the next round? How can I put food on the table? That's what the hustle economy presents. Okay. So it's always that hustle economy has always had a role within the rural communities. And what I get from you is that we're trying to make it a bit of a more of a formal role. Is that correct? That's very correct, because as we go on into the design of the program, we'll further explain this. But yes, it's something that has always been there. If I take you down memory lane, there's always been those grannies that are selling outside the school gates, you know, whether it's lollipops, whether it's potato crisps, there's always been somebody, you know, selling something. There's the ladies that have been weaving baskets that you see them with their their baskets uh, on their heads, walking around up and down the streets, whether it's in the townships, selling those baskets, selling those reed mats. So it's been there, but it's always been seen as a way that people that maybe are uneducated, you know, try and find a source of income or people that are very poor would do that or people that don't have status in the community resort to, to hustling, to selling, you know, on the streets. Whereas before it's been sort of seen like a, a side thing or an additional income, it's, it's becoming more mainstream now. It's becoming more mainstream. In fact, it's what the Africa Foundation Hustle Program has done, especially in our rural communities, is give it the dignity that it deserves. To say that it's not for the poor or the uneducated, but it's actually for 
for the clever, the smart ones that are moving with the times. Because we are in the hustle economy where you are actually better off as a young person selling your skill and selling your product and detecting when you get paid, signing your own paycheck, detecting the hours that you work, giving you more time to actually explore other talents or other hobbies or other hustles. It's quite an interesting concept, I think. Let's talk a little bit about the Hustle Economy program in itself. This is something quite new that Africa Foundation set up, I think, in in June or July, and you are heading it up. Can you speak a little bit about the factors that led to the setting up of the Hustle Economy program and what it aims to achieve? It's an exciting um, program and very new to Africa Foundation, Cass, and I am so honoured to actually lead the process. It started about in April when we first launched the pilot program in our KZN communities, rural communities outside Pinda Game Reserve and beyond Pinda Game Reserve. How it came about, it was through a series of, you know, sitting down, brainstorming, trying to figure out a solution to the rising unemployment rates, more so for our youth from our communities and trying to find solutions that also don't lead to, you know, dependence on that one source of thriving economy, which in this particular community, if we take Pinda, for example, is the game reserve and beyond Pinda game reserve. As much as it is doing a lot for the communities and employing from the communities, it can only take so many people. Mm -hmm. It was a way of trying to figure out a solution to solve the distranglement, you know, of young people who are unemployed, some with skills, some unskilled. And the question then that came up in the room was, actually, what are they currently doing? Mm. Because we had a lot of great ideas, you know, of the cleft bursary, where we sponsor young people to go into universities and colleges. So we thought maybe, you know, a skills training bursary, where they could go into an FET college, learn a skill, and then come back with that skill and maybe get a job. But then we realized that the, the problem was actually the lack or shortage of jobs. Yes. So even having that skill, because we've got graduates that are unemployed all over uh, Africa and in the world, unemployment is a factor. So we had to really think hard and deep. And um, the question again was, what are they currently doing? Mm. And then we did research and realized that these young people, these unemployed people are actually on the hustle. Yes, doing their and own thing. And that's exactly where the hustle economy program came from. And we said, okay, they're already doing something, but their disrunglement is the fact that they don't see that as a way of life, as a source of income is an achievement, is something that they can work on and actually build on it. And yet it is something, you know, that if given the necessary skills, given the necessary coaching, is it's exactly what those rural communities need to have their own economy. Yes, yeah. So this is exactly how the hustle economy came about, the hustle economy program came about. It's it's such an interesting concept and I find it so fascinating because 
like you said, it doesn't rely on, on anybody else other than those hustlepreneurs, as you call them themselves, to actually create the jobs. I think that's really fantastic. Yes, um, that exactly was a solution in itself because then we it takes away the dependency on would-be employer. It takes away uh, dependency on if I get a, a salary, then I can do this. It actually opens the thinking of these unemployed youth to say, you know what, the day that I started this hustle, because those were one of the questions that we asked, the few that we, we brought on to the pilot, to say, when you started your hustle, what was the idea? Is that in the answer was always, I thought I was going to be the next businessman, you know, the next big thing, I was going to make lots of money and be able to take care of myself. So we're like, let's go back then, because that is still a possibility. Now, a decision that you made when you were setting up the, the Hustle Economy program, and quite a deliberate decision, I think, was to focus strongly on youth and women. Can you talk a little bit about why this is the case? And maybe just let us know a bit about some of the challenges that young women in particular face in South Africa's rural communities. Because when we, you know, initially we were thinking, we we're thinking, okay, unemployed youth, we are going to use the, the cutoff age of 34 and just direct this program to the youth as categorized by government regulations because we work so closely with our communities and having been in those communities for over 30 years now, we've really gotten a deeper understanding of the realities of our communities and the people there. And the people that are actually on the hustle are the women. Yes. I think earlier I gave an example of, you know, the grannies that you find selling, uh, weaving and selling baskets. The, the lady that's, you know, selling fat cakes at the, the side of the road, it's always a woman. And I guess the society has made it acceptable for women to go out and sell. And whereas for men, it works against their ego, their status in the, in the community, you cannot be a well-respected man and be seen carrying a basket full of oranges and you're not walking around um, the community selling your oranges. You lose your dignity. You lose your space <laughs> in the community. And I guess yeah. that's a societal thing or issue <laughs> that you know we've we have in Africa, all over Africa. It, it was um, a no-brainer that we needed to include women of all ages when we come to that program and a particular bias as well on the women because they are the ones that are actually tasked with supplying food, looking after the children, really looking after the homestead. They are the ones that are tasked with that. If there is no food on the table, all the kids look at their mother. If there is no school fees, the kids go and ask, you know, from their, their parents. It's it's just the way the society, all grown up in that situation where the mother is the one that actually has to answer or has to provide. And um, statistically speaking, a lot of the households in our communities are headed by women, single mothers. There's a lot of orphans, but you find that even the one that has, is looking after that home that has lost uh, parents, it's normally a girl that will stay behind with that responsibility. So yeah, you, it was a natural 
course, I think looking at our communities and what uh, the needs were and who those people were that were on the hustle. You mentioned that the Hustle Economy Program was piloted in around about April this year. Could you talk a little bit about how the whole process went? You know, how were the participants selected and what did the actual program itself include? So when we made the decision that this is what we thought was a solution to, to unemployment, we also went and had uh, several engagements with the community leaders, as we, all, as we do with all our, our projects, where we make sure that we've got the buy-in from the local leadership, we've got the support and they, they, they understand what we are aiming to do, and most of all, that it's something that they also see as a solution for the, the challenges that they face. And then we had a call out where we sent out adverts and invitations for hustlers to apply. So literally the advert went, are you on the hustle? Are you selling something, be it chappies or be it uh, bricks? Are you interested in turning your hustle into your main income generating source? If you are that person, send us your application with just a brief description of what your hustle is. Yes. And we received quite a number of applications. So we had to sit and, and go through a process of, of reviewing and selecting the first 32 that we started with, um, interviewed them. We needed to make sure that they are from the communities that they say they are from, the communities where we operate in, that they do have uh, a proven hustle and also understanding their passion and where they also see this program benefiting them. So that's how the first 32 were selected. But in the first week, we had three dropouts, which were actually very good. One got a permanent job, which then you know, they had to leave. Uh, the other one was heavily pregnant and you know had uh, complications and needed to stay at home and, and couldn't continue with, with us. So we remained with a, a strong group of 30, yeah, which really graduated their first phase of the, the program at the end of June. That's, yeah, that's yeah, no, It's just been, yeah, for, for a pilot and for us to have such commitment and such results has been both motivating and given us lots of lessons because then we, we got an, a good group, a nice number to actually get to, to understand where we needed to tweak the program, what we needed to change and what we, we, we needed to continue to work with. And um, got to learn a lot from, from these hustlers, eh? In, I'm in sure. that three, yeah, three months mm. intensive program. So now in terms of how the program itself is structured and how it works, so you have facilitators that are appointed for each program. What is their role? How are they selected? What do they actually do? How do they work with these hustlepreneurs? The program is structured in such that we've got facilitators that look after these hustlers. Their role is mainly to facilitate peer-to-peer -peer sharing of information and knowledge. So what the program looks like is that there is two days per week where all the hustlers meet together with their facilitator and there is a module 
that the facilitators use. So it's not a textbook program, but the module acts as a guide to the topics that need to be discussed when they meet. So it's like a conversation starter. So say they are on that day, they want to do market analysis. That's how, if you're in university or college studying business, that's how it would have been put. But you find in this module, the facilitator can start it by, please, can you tell me what happens in 50 meter radius of where you operate your business? What do you see? That in itself is a market analysis, but we really bring it down to the community in saying as a hustler, as a local hustler, do you really understand your your community? Have you done community mapping in your head? When you started this business, did you understand who your consumers are, who your target customers are? Where are they found? Is that the product that they need? And do they need it exactly where you are providing it? Is there something that you could do better? So the facilitators ignite those conversations and the hustlers by themselves, they, 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 they go through them, they, they argue them, they discuss them, they share such a rich space of sharing because all these hustlers, all 30 of them are, are doing different businesses. Some may be similar, but they're operating in different spaces or their target market is different or their community setup is different. So they all add richness to each other because of their experiences and because of their thinking. And then the facilitators also task them with activities that they have to do. Some they do them as a group, they split into smaller groups, or some they do individually where they are tasked to, to go back to their business and do a certain activity And then they come back when they meet again and they get to share in that space. So that sharing again, when you have to present what you've discovered about your business or what you've done, then this is where also your your peers then say, no, but you are making a mistake there. I think you should have done it this way. Or the facilitator will be like, what do you think Noni could have done in a situation like this? I mean, by Tuesday, she had so much money and then there was a funeral at home. And she had to contribute. So it weaves through social issues as well, because we we understand that uh, these hustlers form part of a community and these hustlers are having to deal with other social issues that most probably are, are a factor to where, why they are where they are, why they, some of them never feathered their education, why some of them have never secured a job. So it's all these social factors that are also woven into these business techniques and business skills. So we also, the facilitators also weave in conservation because remember Africa Foundation and and beyond, we work in those conservation spaces. And it's very important for our communities to continually be enriched with that knowledge so that they can continue to take pride in the resources that they have, continue to play a very active role in the resources that are very much theirs, understand the conservation, understand the game reserve, understand the environment, be it we are talking about soil erosion, be it we are talking about rhinos and the importance of protecting wildlife. So it's all weaved in and we also try and put in the business aspect of it. Well, it's such a wonderful and practical way of learning. It's really, it's not about 
abstract concepts or ideas. It's so immediate and it can make such an immediate difference in, in their lives and their businesses. It's so true because it, it was also the belief that there is no um, expert that would fully understand anyone's business. Considering that we're saying these 30 hustlers that we started with are operating in different environments, selling different products, coming from different backgrounds, and carrying also personal issues in that space. So to allow for that space where it's safe for them to come, because you know when you have to bring something that's so personal, like your business, and put it on the table for everyone to watch you as you dissect it, you know, open it up until you really find where the ulcer is and be like, this is where my business is rotting from. You know, this is why it's not growing. This is where the problem is. You have to allow yourself to be in that vulnerable state, you know, and understand that the process is actually to empower you, not to make you feel less or insecure. So it was very important when they started this group that ground rules were set, that we are going to be discussing personal issues. You know, I could be uh, struggling. The reason why my business is not growing is because maybe I've got an alcoholic problem. So after I've made myself, the first thing I think of is going to buy a beer. And I know it's a problem, but maybe I need to be accountable to somebody so that I can start changing. So all those tactics have been used in that group setup. And they've really been generated by conversation starters that the facilitators will put on the table. And they, the facilitators themselves, discuss them, argue them, and then come up with solutions. And where the facilitator needs to guide them in the process does that as well. And the, 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 the activities that they then go and do also add on to their enrichment uh, in, in understanding their businesses and in understanding their communities and in understanding them as individuals and what would work best. Some are, were doing wrong, uh, they were in the wrong space, wrong um, business, because, you know, maybe someone who's very quiet and not out there, not outgoing, but you're trying to sell something that requires you to be with the people in those meetings that they have. And also the one-on-one -on -one meetings that they have with the facilitators, because I say twice a week, they meet together as a group. And then the other two days, the facilitators visit each hustler at their place of business. This is where they sit and go through the business. I would like to highlight a very important aspect of them, the hustle economy program, which we have seen as the success of the program. It has been the introduction of what we call financial diaries, where each hustler right at the beginning was asked to keep two diaries, a personal diary and a business diary. And you are supposed to write down every expenditure and every income. Yes. And you write what it was for. Because that is a process that helps you understand whether you are actually making money in your business mm -hmm. and how you are actually using that money. Where are your priorities? Do you understand the finances of your business? So it was a very interesting process that, you know, in the beginning, some found challenging, but once they got the grasp of it, it was 
something so beautiful to watch and hear the hustlers themselves saying, I didn't know that I spent too much time on airtime. I actually spend half my profit on airtime. And then when I reassess that, what am I using that airtime for? Nothing. Just to be on WhatsApp and chat and really, you know, listen to the community gossip. Is that really how I should be spending my time? No. And then they go on to the next week and then they are now conscious as they, you know, send their daughter to go and buy them that 12 rand airtime. They ask themselves, is it really necessary? Is there another way that I can communicate this message? Can it wait until, you know, in the evening when I meet this person? You know, is there a better way of how can I save this? And also understanding that that 12 rand is actually not for them. If they were getting paid, they would have waited to wait until the, 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 the salary date, whether it's the 25th or month end, to actually be able to buy a time. So why can't I keep banking my money so that I can actually pay myself a salary and then be able to spend it whichever way I want to? So it's um, those financial diaries have from from the feedback that we've got from the hustlers, from the facilitators, and from us just monitoring from the first day when they came to the program where they were saying, some of them were saying, I think I make 50 rand. I think because actually they'd never taken time to sit down and record. And some had no idea. They were like, no, I just, I constantly ask my partner to give me money to order stuff to keep my spaza shop going. But I don't think I'm making money. For me, it's just a way of, you know, waking up and going to sit at the corner and chat to other ladies. So it, it's really an easy way to identify financial priorities and financial needs. Yes, yes. It's, um, it's been amazing. And it has given them the, the freedom to actually now start dreaming big because they understand what their businesses are worth and what they can do. So when the facilitators started introducing other topics like branding, positioning your business, you know, plowing back money into your business, it became so much easier because they had noticed that they've been making money, but because they were not accounting for it, they were just spending it as it comes. And there was no bookkeeping of any sort that was happening. They didn't even know how much they were spending. A lot of them, you find they make fat cakes, amakwinya. And they, they didn't know like how much a 2kg bag of flour, how many makwinyas come out of there. They didn't know they were just making amakwin. And they didn't understand whether they're pricing them high or low. As long as my neighbor is selling them for five friends, I'll also sell them for five friends. But they didn't understand that some of them compare your prices with the with a, a shop right, but shop right is buying their flower in bulk. You know, exactly. you are buying yours. So understanding those, what we might think, you know, our simple business techniques weren't they within uh, our community um, context, and it has um, empowered them, has made them dream big. There's this one hustlepreneur that comes to mind when she realized that she was actually making a profit of between 500 and 650 a week, just in a spaza shop selling small little things like she's got chappies, she sells fish and, and chips, she's got uh, the fat cakes, amakwinya, and cigarettes. And the second month she came and said, for the first time I was able to sit with my daughter and encourage her to study. She's got a daughter who's doing metric this year. 
she was like, I was able to even have a conversation with her about her future. She's saying it's something that she has always avoided because she knew that she didn't want to have a, a discussion that she can't support. She didn't feel that she could engage with their daughter in terms of school because she couldn't promise her anything further than, you know, when you finish your metric, you might have to come and join me at the spas or you might have to get somebody to marry you. She was saying, like, with this money that's coming in, I've started saving. And I know that come university time, I will definitely have money for registration. I'll be able to buy my child books and she can go to university. So I find myself when I get home in the evening, I'm encouraging her. I want to know what she's doing. If she's studying, does she have any challenges? Is she going for extra lessons? It's like it has improved even our home life, our family conversations, so to speak. Yeah, it's truly life-changing. Nani, can we talk a little bit about another element of the program, which is the incentives that the hustlepreneurs received for successfully completing the various phases? Can you tell us a little bit about how that worked? So the hustle program also comes with what we call seed funding or capital grants. So the hustlepreneurs get awarded credits for completing certain activities for their participation in group work or in the discussions. Like I was mentioning now, financial diaries for how they do their record keeping and how they follow the instructions that the facilitators give them. So with every task and every activity, they are allocated credits. And those credits are converted into rents, which then is given to them to then plow into their businesses or plow it into what they see is um, the next thing to push their business to the next level. Maybe let me expand on that. So you find some have taken their seed funding and have gone and purchased more stock, went on to, to leverage with the suppliers instead of just buying one 10 kg bag a month of flour, they're saying, you know what, we'll order a, a, a hundred cages, but then the price needs to be, you know, less because now I'm buying more. And uh, that also reduces their transport costs of having to travel. Remember, these suppliers are in big towns, which is far from our communities. Absolutely. So that reduces their transport costs. It reduces even the cost per making that fat cake because now the flour is cheaper and some even negotiated to say, you know what, now I'm buying hundred cages, please deliver it to me. So it, um, it has empowered them in that way. But then there are others that were, for example, there is a gentleman who is a seamstress, you know, makes clothes, um, but couldn't quite cut designs on his own. He knew how to stitch and um, do all the other basics. And for him, it was like, if I can learn how to make patterns and cut them for myself, I'll then cut out the cost of the middleman who's having to do those patterns for me. So I'd like my seed funding to go towards education. So I want to go and learn that skill so that, you know, I come and fit it into my business and use it and uh, be able to even, you know, my turnover, increase my my turnover in my production because then I'm not relying on somebody else who might be doing other things for my customers to get their products. 
So we've had quite a few that have said there's one lady who's been selling tissue oil and uh, other cosmetic products. And she was like, I love this whole beauty concept, but uh, I don't have the skill. I would like to open my legal kiosk where legal salon in, 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 in the community where people could come and do their nails and do their, especially their skin. R- rural people don't think about their skin half the time, you know? And I think with me selling tissue oil, I need to actually have the knowledge of what it actually does and be able to provide demological advice. So she's going to be going for a short course in, uh, in that so those seed funding has really gone a, lo- a long way in growing their businesses, in adding value to their hustles. Nani, you've given us lots of examples of, of great things that have happened and, and truly inspirational things as well. But now that the initial phase of the project has been completed, do you have a favorite success story that you'd like to tell us about? Oh, I've, I've got quite a, a lot, eh? Because, um, <laughs> This group of 30 has just been amazing in that, you know, some of them have have grown, you know, they're in different levels. Some of them are, are looking at a, a tech home after taking care of the business and what they actually put in their pocket to between 15 and 20,000 within a short space of time. And some of them, it's been taking home 250 rands. But this is a person that actually never uh, had a bank account. We had never had a savings account who is now able to tell you, you know what, I've got a thousand rands in my bank account. It's been watching and being part of this progression and watching them uh, take pride in their work and watching them even name their businesses. Because I, I remember of this group of 30, only three had names for their businesses. None of them registered, but only those three had thought way above, let me give a name to my business. The others were like, no, it doesn't have a name. So how do people come to your shop? They know it's the one where there's a green tin just outside. You know, that's my business. It's them now taking pride and saying, you know, I I, I sell food. I sell traditional food and um, it's meant to make you happy. So I'm going to call my shop because when you get there, you are definitely going to live happy and full. And they've come up with all these beautiful names. And most of all, hey, when I think of a success story, it's one lady who said to me, it's, you know, getting the respect from her husband who never really understood what she does. She was like, for the first time, when I started showing my husband that this is what I'm making, actually bringing money home, he started involving me in decisions. We started planning. Um, I remember my last trip to KZ and she had bought fencing so that they could fence their small homestead. But she was like, that would have never been a, a decision that a woman is, is involved in. But my husband was able to say to me, so, um, you know, how much have you made? Do you think we can actually, you know, work on that uh, fencing project? And I was able to say, you know, I've actually got 3,000 rands and we put our income together 
And saying if in our conversations in the evening, okay, the husband is working in Joburg and she's in rural KZN. It's like they're so enriched because I asked him about how work was in Joburg. He asked me how many things I sold today. What did I meet? What, what is my next plan? He's now giving me ideas. He's even gone to an extent of finding some suppliers in Joburg that could supply this lady with um, oh, wow. with the, the products that she sells. So she's like, you know, for a family, it has really enriched my relationship with my husband, with my kids. You know, I'm able to say today we will have chicken, you know, something like that, you know, out of the blue. It's not an occasion, but we're just going to have chicken and rice because we can afford it. So it's 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 hearing those stories that speak to their social standing they are, you know, giving them a voice, be it within the community, be it within their families and giving them that dignity and respect that, you know, all human beings um, deserve. But as you and me know, you the, the people that are allowed to even open their mouths are the, the ones that actually bring the check home. So, you know, bringing the check home is giving them <laughs> that voice to actually sit and have a cup of tea with other people. That's wonderful stories of of empowerment, really. It's it's so beautiful to hear them. Nani, so the initial phase of the project, of the pilot project that you're in in KZN, that was three months, and that initial phase has come to an end now. But it's not the end of the support that you're providing for the hustlepreneurs. How will you continue to work with that first group of 30 people going into the future? So the the first part of the program, we're referring to it as the, you know, the intensive first three to four months of the program where they meet with the facilitators, they meet as a group, you know, twice a week, and they all get to get uh, one-on-one time with the facilitator at least once a week. But as they move on to what we call light touch, which is going to be the next six months, is that they'll continue to have access to to a facilitator and a hustle economy coordinator who's then going to continue to give them that support, that business support, depending on the level where their business is, how much money they are generating. Some may need to be linked to other small business funders in our governments and within other organizations that actually focus on that. And some will need to continuously be monitored and be supported to get them to that level where, you know, they can also now register their businesses, be able to apply for other funding, be able to actually stand on their own as a business, which they have, you know, by the time they, they left the first phase, they, they are running as businesses. The difference is how much they, they are taking home. So we have variables of some taking home per month between 1,500 into about 20,000, like I said. And so you'd see that those that are in that, you know, your your 10,000 and going above bracket, the level of support that they need and advice, it will be different. So the facilitators and the regional coordinator will continue to support them, continue to, to mentor them, but not on a day-to-day basis because we are going to have another group that's coming in that's going to go into that intensive um, program. But they're never left to their own devices and everybody sort of receives the level of support and actually very personalized advice um, depending on what they need. 
Yes, you know, the the beautiful thing is that our facilitators come from those communities and our coordinator as well comes from those communities. So one of the other responsibilities for the coordinator is identifying the the business linkages and uh, matching those hustlers with business opportunities in and around the communities. Yeah. So it's really growing them to the next level where, you know, they can, instead of um, the local shop, right, making their own bread or making their own cakes, if our hustler is, you know, a product, you know, through the support and the mentoring of the facilitators and the coordinator can fit and match the standard that the shop, right, needs, we try and leverage that. If those that are in farming, if they're producing and the lodges need, you know, carrots, the coordinator facilitates that uh, business linkage. So we are looking at them really also fully understanding and taking advantage of their their community and um, understanding that it is a thriving economy on its own because those people do need clothing, do need bricks. We have one hasslepreneur who actually makes bricks a lady that makes bricks for building. It's linking her even to the projects that are happening in and around the community to say, okay, if you guys are needing bricks, please go to to Nokolo. She makes bricks. These are quality bricks. And also making sure that as they move on to this light touch, they registered with the correct regulatory bodies. They get all the checks and ticks and balances from those regulatory bodies. So if we're talking about bricks, we then bring in somebody from that department who will come and assess that brick and say, okay, that's a good quality brick. This is where you need to tweak. This is where you need, or or you are doing well. Then that gives uh, the confidence and the certification to say, you know what, next time they are building a kitchen, you know, in one of the preschools, I can confidently supply my bricks because they've got the, the certification. So that's the role of the facilitators. And that's what's going to be happening in the next six months of that light touch phase with the graduation being the last three months. So it's an 18 month program where we take a hustler through. So three months of intensive close interaction, close support, peer to peer education and sharing. And then the next six months where the, it's light touch. But what we actually starting to see with this first group is that they've maintained that network. So they are leveraging from each other and supporting one another. So it's one of those where if somebody discovers that these textiles that are, are going for cheap or they've discovered a supplier, even though they are not in, 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 in that textile department or industry, they put it on the group you know, and say, guys, those that are looking for materials, there is this shop in Empangeni, this is what, and also what they are also doing is sharing to say, I'm, I'll be going to Durban on this day to go and stock up on my products. Is there anyone else who's going? Can we share transport? Or if you want to ask to send me, then they all contribute to that one person transport and so they've really been leveraging on each other and I am looking forward to a time where this network is going to continue to grow you know with new hasslepreneurs coming onto the program and they amongst themselves will be a formidable economy that will really 
rise up in these communities and actually give even young people that are coming up the, the confidence to go into a hustle, knowing that it's something to be proud of. It's something that can generate much more income than in entry-level temporary work. And, and you have to know, because temporary work is, is almost non-existent in, in rural communities. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of unemployed people will spend their time trying to get that job when there's only just five placements for people to sweep on the side of the road or clear the side of the road. And they go and spend the whole day. And in the process, they are letting down their customers. Who could be grade one kids that know that every morning I will get to buy my lunch from Gogo Mastole because Gogo Mastole sells, um, you know, packet of, of knickknacks. So as a mother, you give your, your son that 50 cent to say you pick up your packet of knickknacks at the gate and then there's your lunch sorted. But Gogo Mastole is not there because she had about a, a contract that there's a contractor was looking for people to clear the road. For how much? For like 150 rands. But with sitting down and going through with these hustlers and going through the program, they started to know that actually I do not have to go in queue for those jobs because I'm actually making much more just by sitting at the gate and making sure that I don't disappoint my grade one learners. I'm actually making much more per day than I would have made on the side of the road. It's really been mind opening to say, do I really need that temporary work or can I really focus on my hustle and build my customer base and start to really decide when I get paid, how much I want to get paid, when I take days off. And it's been, um, it's been beautiful to watch as, as they came to that realization to say, you know what, I, I don't see myself ever going to apply for temporary employment. I now have to be selective. I'm never going to be the one that's get called by all the relatives whenever they need someone to come and help them at their house. Because actually, I've got a customer base that's relying on me. And the day that I'm not there, they are going to find those knickknacks somewhere and I've lost them. So it's, it's that discipline that they have learned through the process of um the hustle economy program. Mm. It's just been amazing to yeah. watch. I've I've learned quite a lot as well, you know, in terms of discipline mm-hmm. and understanding your finances and prioritizing. <laughs> That's something we can always learn more about, all of us. Yeah. But what I find really exciting about this is it's just such a wonderful way of of growing a a community economy from within. So there's a community that starts to grow and thrive on its own and it's no longer, you know, potentially somewhere somewhere down the line, they'll no longer be relying on suppliers from from outside because they'll have their own lines of supply within. And I just find that really exciting and and a really fabulous prospect. Yeah, that, that's the ultimate to actually bring those communities to a point where they are a thriving economy on their own. And they take pride in in what they have and what they're doing. You you find one of our hustlers makes traditional Zulu attires. He started an online store where they're selling them via Facebook. And understanding that right there from 
Wamngobogaz, deep in the rural areas, I can still access international customers. Mm. You know, I can still enjoy the beauty of being at home with my family, the richness of, of culture, identity, and still be able to sell my products and my skills to the world over just by understanding the digital space, which has also been one of the, the modules that they've had to learn and, and get grasped with in, um, in the program in that they are now fully using. And in simple social media platforms like WhatsApp, instead of just going on WhatsApp just for stories and unnecessary community gossip, they are now going on to WhatsApp to put what they've got. I'm back from Deben. This is what I have. Yeah, using it as and a business tool. And then people just order and they, they go and deliver. They've had to, you know, because we started this program right in the middle of the pandemic. So understanding those techniques and understanding the environment that we're in and understanding that we're in the rural community where technology is was still miles from, from getting there. But now here is where we are and we have to make do with, with what we have. And it has worked amazingly. I can just imagine. So Nami, the phase of the project, what we've been talking about, that was the pilot phase of the project in one community. But the way I understand it, there are big plans for the Hustle Economy program. Can you tell us a little bit about what the plans for the future are and how many more communities will be involved? You know, the success of the pilot phase has made our planning and our, our dreaming much more bigger. Mm-hmm. And also the realization that this is a program that speaks to all our communities, all our rural communities. We've got unemployed youth. We've got women that um, are on the hustle, mm-hmm. but that, again, do not understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing, but they continue to do it. People that would really benefit from such uh, a program. So because the plan is to actually to take it to all our communities. The next rollout being in Mbumalanga in the next week, um, we kickstart Mbumalanga in three communities, one in the north and um, two in the south. We've already recruited three facilitators and one coordinator. And the, the aim there is to actually work with other partners, with other NGOs that uh, find a sweet spot and they think it's something that speaks to them. We can work together to expand it so that we can offer this um, very amazing uh, program to all our communities. But then the next phase will be taking it to East Africa, where we've started to do groundwork in Tanzania as well. We talk of the ladies that are also, whether it's fishing that's happening, you know, in our Krumeti, Serengeti areas, or it's, it's you know, the, the, the ladies that weave also type of baskets, uh, honey-making communities, when you talk of the ones just outside clients. So those are the plans. we rolling this out to all our communities, um, funding permitting and, uh, you know, partnerships permitting. But the aim really is we should not leave any potential hustle without this knowledge, without this opportunity to actually give them that space 
to interrogate their business, to find out where the ulcer is, to, to give them that opportunity to take pride in, in something that, you know, when they started it in the beginning, they really believed it was going to be to ignite that, that, that dream, that passion again, and to see them flourishing in, in taking up space. I mean, hustle economy has just blossomed in the last few months of the pandemic. You know, like I said, with everyone having a hard side hustle, you know, we're talking about skilled professionals that are really providing their skills and services to other customers or clients other than their main uh, contracted companies. So the importance of making that income has become very important. You know, it's become very um, obvious with the, with the pandemic and more so for our communities where they were relying, some of them from relatives that are formerly employed and a lot of them lost their jobs. And therefore, actually igniting that in, in bringing it to them to understand that actually this is not just a by-the-way thing. This is a source of income. Yeah, this is a way to make a living. This is a way to make a living. This is a way to regain your dignity. This is the way to get your respect. This is the way to grow future generations from so we 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 cannot just keep it in in South Africa. The plans are to expand it to all of our countries, all our five countries. It's such an exciting project, and I've got absolutely no doubt that it's going to be successful everywhere. Nani, for those of our listeners who'd like a way to become involved or to support the Hustle Economy program, is there something that they can do, a way that they can donate towards it, or or show their support in in some other way? Yes, um, we would like to get as much support as we can. So those that would like to get to know more about the program or would like to contribute towards the program, in, in whether it's you know through funding or whether it's through knowledge and skills, um, they can contact us. They can go on to the Africa Foundation website, www.africafoundation.org.za. They will be sent on to the Hustle Economy link, or they can get hold of um, myself. Uh, my email address is nonshansha at africafoundation.org.za. Uh, I'll be happy to, to answer any questions, to give more information, to direct them to how they can donate and, you know, the sort of support that we give with every donation. But we, we, we make sure that our donors, our funders are kept up to date with um, the progress of the project. They, they really form part of what this program is. They become partners, you know, in this work with us. So, yes, we are open to those that would like to, to support the program in some form or another. We are open to, to discussing the ideas that they bring to the table. So yes, they can go on to the Africa Foundation website. They can contact uh, me directly. They can go on to our Give and Gain page. Um, there is also the Leave a Legacy uh, email address once you get into the Africa Foundation page. 
Great. So there's a lot of ways that people can get involved and I'm sure many will be inspired too. Yes. You know, I know there might be some other business uh, people or some hustlers listening and thinking, oh, this resonates so much with what I'm, I'm passionate about. Uh, I know of this and that. Please don't sit on that information. There is rural women and youth that need that information, that need those funds to get them to actually grow their businesses, to get them to, to support their families, to give them the dignity that they need through earning your own money. Well, I definitely urge anybody who, who can contribute to get involved. And Noni, thank you once again. As always, it's been absolutely inspirational to talk to you. So thank you so much for making the time for it. Thank you so much, Cass. Uh, it's been lovely chatting to you. This is one of other, the other programs that are, have a very special space uh, in my heart. I, I believe in the, in the hustle economy. I see what it can do. I'm a product of a mother that was hustling. And uh, I know that done right, what it can produce. So let's continue to, to promote the hustle. Absolutely. I wish you the very best of luck with that, Noni. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.